This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. In the past 24 hours, CrowdStrike has processed more than 1 trillion security events. That's 35 million events since I started this sentence. That isn't just big data, that's CrowdStrike data. CrowdStrike's engineers are pioneering the future of the cybersecurity industry and working at an incomparable scale while solving some of the toughest challenges in technology. CrowdStrike is a team that makes a difference every day, protecting customers around the globe from the world's most sophisticated adversaries. If you want to take your passion for technology and purpose-driven work and make it a superpower, Join the company that's on a mission that matters by visiting CrowdStrike.jobs. Thank you, CrowdStrike, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. If you haven't noticed already, technology is hard. And it's not hard because it's difficult to learn, but it's hard because it changes every single day. We thought it would be great to bring in Maurice Gross to share his experience on moving from a legacy on-prem environment and network to a cloud native environment. And he shares his success and challenges in this episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again in the studio today. We've brought in our brother, our brother, Maurice Gross Jr. is in the building. For anyone that doesn't know Maurice, like we know Maurice because we've spoken to him so much and used to work with him. Maurice is a security engineer and has a military background where he focused on exploitation and detection, threat mitigation and integration engineering. Currently, Maurice is a security engineer at Marquetta, a financial technology company. But most importantly, Maurice, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me here, guys. Hey, you know, this is a special treat for me. I got two of my best friends in the entire world on one episode. Maurice, we were in the Marine Corps together. We've built companies together. And then we finally work together in this world we call the metaverse. And one of the things that I remember about going through this this transition with you is I had been on the commercial side for a little bit and uh, you were still in the government. And I said, hey, you know, you're one of the most intelligent, fast learning people I've ever met. I got to get you over here. There's so many people that need your help to keep the Internet safe from all these attacks and I'll never forget what you said to me. You said, what is the internet? <laughs> I'm just kidding, brother. <laughs> so you're going to probably hear a bunch of cracks between us going back and forth. Uh, that's just how we do. But Maurice, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Uh, yeah. So as, as Ron stated, uh, you know, 12 years in the United States Marine Corps, the 2600 field, which is the signals intelligence field, I did a lot of uh, exploitation work, RF, RF base, so, you know, uh, HF, VHF, UHF, and then moved over into the 802.11 spectrum. Um, and then from there, I went from off the land onto the land, right? So uh, start getting into Unix exploitation and kind of going from there. 
Uh, then went into some deep, some defense work as well. After I uh, did my 12 years, I got out and taught Unix exploitations for a while on the DOD side. I did some DOD contracting and then went into uh, some systems, a lot of system integration, hardware, software integration, tech engineering before I came over to Marketa and decided to go full commercial uh, in the financial technology sphere. Now, I, I did that little joke, uh, but really what your ascension has been is, is that transformation from legacy networking into cloud native architecture. And I'm sure for a lot of folks out there, they're they're struggling with it right now because they've either been with bigger companies that have, have these massive networks that has been largely on-prem, but now they're they're knowing that there's a change they see on the horizon. They see a lot of companies are going to cloud and they're, they're a little afraid. They're afraid because they don't understand the cloud just yet. Would love to hear a little bit about what it was like going through a lot of those learnings and getting a handle on this thing that we call cloud native infrastructure. Sure. So off the top, I'll tell you right away, like it was really, really difficult and really hard. Right. And if it wasn't for what I've identified as my superpower, like it would have taken me longer. Right. So my self-professed superpowers that I've realized I have the ability to learn things extremely fast. It's like that uh, superpower where like you can see somebody do something and then you like muscle memory can do it. Right. Um, so for me, like I, I tend to see things once or twice and then you know, I, I can pick it up, uh, at least execute really quick. And then, you know, after two follows behind. So keeping that in mind, it was still really hard because I just didn't have the professional environment to, to test it in. So what I ended up doing was, you know, I keep abreast uh, of technology. This field is is really a hobby for me. So I, I've been blessed enough to what I do for a profession. I actually enjoy doing as a hobby. My work is fun, right? I get paid to, to have fun. And so what I did is I ended up building, had to build a lab in my house. And uh, so Chris, if you, were, I remember you talked to me before about like Kubernetes and you used like you used the term like K eights. And I was like, what in my head? Like, what the heck is a K eight? <laughs> you know, like that's that's really where I was, right? And so. So I started off small. I started, you know, dealing like uh, Citrix first and and kind of building my way up and then Dockers and then, you know, started getting the K8s. And as I slowly started learning like containerized environments, then I started learning like the security aspect of it, right? But what was really mind blowing was that like, I thought I was advancing. Those type of things was just the foundation knowledge, right? When I started looking, seeing the tools that's out there, the security tools and dealing with like APIs and seeing how like, webhooks are being used it was a really huge eye-opener because as you stated chris like uh when you're on prem those things aren't at play um everything's like you have entire servers on the premises that's dedicated to just that right uh you got a physical routers and physical switches and you're not having to like code out infrastructure right and so those things were hurdles to get over because uh, as a system engineer you know um a security engineer you kind of got to be a jack of all trades so I got to ask, you and Chris keep mentioning the terms legacy and cloud native. Maybe that reminds me of the word modern, you know, if we're talking about legacy. But what does legacy mean exactly for you when it comes to security or even networking technologies? When I think of legacy, I think of things like, if we're going to look at like networking technologies, like actually having like a dedicated server room or server or network room, right, on, on premises, right? Having like a technology and tools that's doing things that you physically or manually have to carry out these tasks daily, right? Like running port scans, uh, somebody, a human being dedicated to coming in and, and spending the first hour, two hours of the day, like actually perusing through the network, 
checking it, right? Like running the, running your own either in-house tools, you know, if you develop them uh, in-house or using some specific like disk, like actual like CD driven software with a license attached to it, right? Uh, as opposed to more modern modern day things such as like uh, integrations and, and tools that use APIs. So you can have a piece of software that can be your hub and then you just have uh, APIs integrated into it. So you got one interface as opposed to five or six different tools you're having to use. No, I think that's a great explanation of what that is. You know, I, I think about our time in the Marine Corps and I tell you what, there's been so many times when we would laugh, we would laugh our butts off and we would basically to the point where we could get in trouble. But I would say the best that anyone has ever gotten me was a live uh, all hands meeting that I was on with Marquetta. And we had the CEO, the CEO was leading this interview, talking about leadership and things like that. And the whole company is present. And I remember that he, he was like, all right, I'm going to open it up for a Q&A for everybody else out there. And uh, the CEO goes, oh, we got a question from uh, Maurice. Uh, Maurice says, tell them about the time that you did this thing with this Marine. And I tell you what, I started laughing uncontrollably, like in front of the CEO, the entire company, I'm like dying laughing because there's a whole story behind it. Won't get too far into it, but that's something that we've always had in common is just making each other laugh. And the other thing about you is that you have so many other hobbies outside of technology. You're into anime, you're into to comic books, you're into Marvel. What is it about cybersecurity that interests you the most? Because I do feel like that you almost come into cybersecurity with almost this like superhero mentality. Do you pull from other sources that enable you to, to be that, that superhero on the, the keyboard? I'm actually glad you asked that. What interests me the most and what I pull from is, is that I can't sit still, right? And technology and, and specifically like the cyber world has always been this evolving like sphere of things. It's just like like you 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 never know enough. Like you never have enough, right? Just when you think you master something, like something else comes out. So like if it's on the defense side, right? Like you may think you've written you know the the best detection logs out there, and then some you know some adversary comes up with a new technique that you got to spend like months to figure out. Like how do I detect against this? Or ho hopefully weeks, right? And so like it never ends. It's like it's like this puzzle that just keeps changing, right? As you almost solve it, right? And if you're on the, you know, analysis side, then, you know, like the technology changes enough that you have to change the way you think. And so the things that I pull from it, you're right. I grew up like reading comic books. I grew up, you know, watching uh, uh, anime and superhero stuff. And I'm a huge Marvel fan and, and Star Wars fan. So for me, it's, 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 it's the action of it. It's the day it's like, you know, when you read these comic books, like just when you thought they got the right bad guy, a new guy shows up. Right. And that's how it is for me in this, in this community and in this field is that just when I think like I just saved the day, I take the cape off and then, you know, the next day you get up and it's time to put it back on because like, even though you got rid of Thanos, right, come to find out there's an alternate timeline and he succeeds, you got to go to that timeline <laughs> to get rid of him, right? And so that's how this, that's how this, this is for me. And so I wake up every day wondering like who else is out there. Right. So I got to ask, I have my own inspirations. It sounds like you have inspiration from many different places. For me, my inspiration comes a lot from basketball. I love Michael Jordan and his focus on the fundamentals. I was a huge Kobe Bryant fan. I love like how he was almost like a villain to a lot of teams. He would go to their home court 
and make everybody upset on the way home because he would beat them. And also LeBron James because of his attention to his body and his mind. But when it comes to you, for your inspiration in and out of the field, where does it come from? So a lot of my inspiration comes from one of my uh, favorite role models. He's my real life uh, hero. And it's Malcolm X for me, specifically because the transition. Ever since I was a kid, I've I've always thought that his that the way that he lived his life and and how he changed his mindset and I he went from you know he's always had this mentality of you know you got to fight for whatever you want right you don't have to take crap from anybody you know you have to rise to the occasion and so as he, as he started off with that from a very aggressive mindset and then went more you know to a pacifist that transition of being able to grow right like his background like the guy you know he wasn't he wasn't always uh, you know a militant leader. You know, he had a criminal background and then, you know, he's pushing for equality. And so a lot of my inspiration comes from that, the, the ability to show that you can change and you can grow no matter what age you are, no matter uh, what you have going on in your life or what your background is. That does not define you. Right. But every day that you get up and you grow and you continue to push for something better, you find different solutions to the same problems is what defines you. Right. And so uh, that's what I strive to live up to. And, and a lot of my inspiration comes from. Uh, from the way he lived and the place that he was in, you know, when he was assassinated. No, that's that's good. We we have to pull inspiration from where we can because we all come from different areas. We come from different cultures. We come from different mindsets. So anything that we can use to increase our performance is great. One thing I wanted to ask you about is as you were doing your transition into cloud native architecture and, and, and cloud native resources, what do you feel like it was tougher for you because you had so much knowledge of the legacy stuff? Because there's a lot of T-shirts out there that said the cloud is just somebody else's computer. And in right. some sense, that that's pretty true. But there might be an even an, an advantage for someone that's going directly into cloud native architecture because they might think differently than someone coming from a legacy background. Do you feel like you had a leg up when you were learning and learning in the cloud or do you feel like there was a bit of a detriment by having that legacy knowledge in your head? I would say both. Uh, it was a double-edged sword. Uh, it definitely, like the foundational knowledge uh, was there. And so I had to leg up and then I didn't have to start from square one. I was able to jump in, you know, and be straight on, you know, second base. You know, the foundational knowledge was there. The idea of like how security works uh, uh, was there. Uh, but what hurt me was being able, trying to make some core, some of the correlations didn't fit just right. Right. And so, like, like you said, the T-shirt that say the cloud is just another, you know, somebody else's computer uh, going in with that ideology is exactly how I first went into it. Right. But then once I start, like, you know, studying containerized environments and looking at how the cloud is really set up, what the infrastructure looks like, that's not necessarily true. It's not actually it's not it's not even it's not even true in a, in a percentage. Right. Yes, it is a, you know, service in a data center somewhere, but it's not all in the same place sometimes. Right. And when you when it comes to containers, it's even it's even broken out even more, right? And so, I would say that coming from the background that I had and, and coming from the government over, I definitely had a leg up when it came to foundational knowledge, uh, and even I would say you know mid level knowledge. So I didn't have to start from square one, but when it came to like getting to the last piece, like the top of the pyramid of trying to get to, okay, like I've mastered like fifty percent of this. That was the real crunch, right? It's like the, it's like running a marathon and you get to the last like mile left and it's like the most brutal because you ran 25 of them. You're just ready for it to be over with. But all your muscles are already torn down, right? You got, it's the last push. 
um, is, and it's extremely hard. It seems like it takes it's the longest mile, right? Even though it's just it's a mile like the other one. So that was the that was where I saw the double edged sword. Where I had kind of hit the point of dimension returns where like my knowledge base kind of like previous knowledge had kind of plateaued off, and now I really took critical thinking, right, and actually building labs in my house, you know, and branching out, networking, talking to people. Um, I think one of the most beneficial things I did, Chris, was you put me onto it was creating a Twitter account of all things, right? You know I me, mean? I was like not big into like adding new social media accounts. I was like the old person, like, what is this Twitter thing, <laughs> right? Right, right. But uh, as I started, as I as I got on the Twitter and I started listening to this podcast, Hacker Valley Studio, right? And, and I started, you know, reading things. That was a huge, huge boost. Like uh, I'm telling both of you, Jim, like that was a huge boost. Like, as bad as social media is, like Twitter was a huge boost because now I'm tapping to people that I don't even know for just sharing things. And all the news was coming out first, right, on Twitter before it hit, you know, uh, anything else. And so uh, I, listened, I listened to your podcast. And so that was the biggest boost that I was that I was uh, uh, missing uh, that was really beneficial for that just that last push over into saying, well, building my confidence where I, where I can say like, hey, you know what, I feel like I can go into the commercial world and and, and be a, a, a effective and productive employee, you know, somewhere. You know, you and Chris keep saying things like legacy that you don't got a Twitter. Everyone's probably listening. Like, how old is this guy? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but on a on a serious note, though, going back, right? So you you talking about your evolution and transition into the cloud arena? But let's say you were to go back to the government, even the military, what types of strategies do you think you could carry back over that, that direction if you were to transition back over there? I, th- I think the biggest, the biggest thing I could take back uh, and that, that will benefit the government is, is, is rapid critical thinking, right? When it comes to this discipline, right? So the government, specifically the military, right? I'll speak about the military because I know that the best, right? Military is a great job of critical thinking, you know, when it comes to like, Putting rounds in our range and catching bad guys uh, in a kinetic sense, right? Uh, we don't waste any time. We make decisions real quick. Generals are paid to do that. Colonels are paid to do that, right? Troops are paid to do that. Uh, but when it comes to the to the to the cyber world and defense exploitation, that's where it's lacking because there's not enough aptitude there, but also there's just not enough foundational knowledge uh, uh, of dilution because technology changes so fast, right? And so I think the biggest bit if I could take back is is uh, to keep troops that sit in this discipline like well informed but well educated, right? And then train and teach the leaders, right, uh, to to practice critical thinking that they do for kinetic warfare. The same will have to be for digital and electronic warfare, right? Like we have to be quick to adjust our posture to to what our adversary is doing because both of you gentlemen know just as well as I do that what that what uh, a bad guy does today doesn't mean he's going to do that tomorrow. I mean, exploits and backdoors and and unless outside of script kitty take months of reconnaissance, right? By the time you know, by the time somebody's you know, let's take Target, right? Target expl- was was hacked, right? When Target when Target was hacked, we all three of us here know that that exploit that reconnaissance probably started a year and a half in advance, right? Of just building that so they could execute it once and be successful at it, right? And so. Uh, uh, I think that's what I would take back is the knowledge of knowing that, hey, like what happened today 
right? It's not going to happen tomorrow because by the time we write the detection, they've already got the information or they've already moved on to the next tool they're going to use when you mitigate this, right? And so it's the critical thinking piece, I think, is, is, is what I would take back. You know what's crazy? I just did an event with the Security Advisor Alliance and we had 140 high school students and they're all in a room and they brought in maybe it was like 10 or 20 professionals in to kind of help go throughout the day. And one of the very first exercises we had is we had a couple of scenarios they put up on the board and we had to sit there and sort of help them through this decision making of figuring out what to do in a given situation. One of the, the examples was there's a vulnerability on your self-checkout kiosk in this store, but you're about to go into a very busy holiday. In fact, it's the best holiday for your company. Do you shut down those kiosks? And for a little bit, I want to sit back and relax and watch them struggle a little bit because you don't grow without struggle. But I'll tell you what, these kids, because they're in a cybersecurity program, they were dissecting the situation just like some of the CISOs that I know. And so these are high school kids and they're thinking about problems in this way. They were like, oh, well, it depends on the vulnerability. How critical is it? Uh, do you need, is it remote code exploitation or can it, is, is it something that uh, you have to be on the terminal to be able to execute? Uh, well, what, what are some of the other things that we can think about enable to keep the store running, but maybe de-escalate some of the risks that we have going on with these machines. And I'm listening to these kids and I'm mind blown. And one of the things that I know that is near and dear to your heart and it's been near and dear to my heart as well is the education of children and technology. Being that learning is your superpower, what are you thinking about the future of cybersecurity and technology and how do we get more kids access to learn some of this stuff so they can be ready when they take the helm? Uh, that's, a really, that's a really good question. That scenario sounds actually pretty fun. I think I may try to run something like that uh, <laughs> in, in my house with my own kids, right? Just to, to get a gauge on where they are, right? Uh, uh, but no, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, I want to tie two things here. Like Ron made a comment earlier about like, you know, using words like legacy. That's how I didn't have a Twitter account. Pete Lister's going to be like, yeah, how old is this guy, right? Um, and it's funny because like, you know, mid, I'm mid-30s, right? And uh, I'm like the top of the millennials, right? And so like, I'm yeah. not that old enough where I, I considered, you know, that I was so away from social media is just that, you know, in the job field that I was in, in the military with a, with a security clearance and stuff, I just stayed away from it. Right. Uh, and so I, I had trained myself not to be in, in tune with that. And so what, uh, like you, Chris, I'm increasingly impressed with like, when we say younger generations, you know, we talk like a decade or two behind us. Right. And, and so uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm increasingly surprised at their, at their knowledge. I think the best thing we could do, right. To, to set them up for success and increase the knowledge is make, you know, CTFs like, you know, CTFs type events back at the school level and even push it down to the middle school level. You'd be really surprised at how smart kids are. I'm going to use my own kids here, right? My son is a high school now, but uh, as you know, Chris, he's been doing, he's been dealing with robotics since he was like three and four years old. And Ron, I've told you some stuff about him too. And you're like, oh man, your kid's a brainiac, right? And it was really because it really started with a, uh, believe it or not, it was an AMF from radio I had, and I was going to go teach a class how to do field expedient antennas, and I was going to have them build an antenna to tune uh, to FM station uh, that was local, and then we tested out by putting it on the radio, and what I would do was the moment of truth, right? So I teach the kids the math behind how to build this antenna, how to tune it, and then they have to come up and bring it to the radio, and, and then the moment of truth is turn the radio on. If we can hear music, 
your antenna, antenna was good, but if we couldn't, the antenna was trash, right? And I didn't pull any punches, right? So I was at home designing this this exercise for fourth and fifth graders. My son was probably in like first grade at the time. And uh, so, you know, he kind of came in the room. I was in there. And I'm like, you know, get out of here, man. I'm trying to work. And, you know, but he was kept coming back. He was interested. And so uh, I let him hang out and I watched him like, you know, of course, he didn't sit there and pull out the math and do it. But he was really into like, oh, how's that work? How's this work? And I was explaining to him and he understood. And I realized like, hey, man, kids aren't as, as, as their brains aren't as, as, as soft or mushy as we think it is. So. I bought him a, a, a Adreno, right? And Arduino, I mean, and uh, he built like robots with it, right? And then I started giving him more advanced levels of them. He started like programming robots and, and writing the code to get him to run. And then he started building his own thing and having robots that was like, you know, he pushed a button and turn on and this thing could ride around the room and had IR sensors that could detect the wall, turn left or right. He built one to chase the dogs around, you know? And so uh, I think like we have to introduce those things to, to children at a very younger age because they're fully capable of doing it and then we need to be able to pinpoint who who grasp it if they like it and they're into it then like feed the beast you know keep you know keep giving it to them keep pushing that knowledge and if we start young like breadboards and arduinos and move them up to raspberry pies then they can start getting into computer science and they can start getting into security engineering right and before you know it like co- like coding should be treated as any other language like you want to learn japanese people learn spanish learn a code and treat it as such Right. And I think that'll put the our country as a whole uh, in a better posture. But it also gives, you know, financial sectors and and engineering sectors and R&D and R&E places uh, a generation of 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 humans, you know, American humans that that can that can defend the technologies and 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 uh, ideas that they prototype and, and invent. There is really no stopping the mind of not only the children, but even adults. I feel like everyone has like this special talent, this special ability, whether it's very visible to everyone or just visible to a few people. Everyone has that deep down within them. And I can only imagine what is our future going to be like. My little nephews and nieces, and I'm sure you all's kids also are using iPads, they're using phones, and they're using it with ease. And now we're creating these frameworks and and devices to make it even easier for them to take one giant leap forward ahead of all of us. What is your prediction on some of the future trends of technology now that you've, you know, really introduced your kids into it, you've spoken to other kids about it, and you're starting to see the future change in front of your eyes? I think, uh, I think some future technology that we'll see, you know, uh, and I pray to see like in our life, like I really want to see in our lifetime, outside of, you know, the typical network defense and stuff, I really, I'm really interested, and I think that we're going to see a boom uh, within the next couple of decades. Uh, bioengineering, I think that 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 field is 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 up and coming. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more prosthetics that's actually integrated into into uh, people's nervous systems, right? So, so you could actually have a prosthetic. With, I mean, we already have some like that, right? Uh, but I think we're going to see uh, prosthetics that, like you know, when it comes outside of just limbs, but like you know, replacement eyes, right? So you get a damaged eyeball and, and we're gonna be able to replace that and, and connect that, you know, to the optic nerve and, and you'll see you'll I think we're gonna get to a point where some of these prosthetics are gonna be better than the the you know natural born limbs that we have. And I, I think we'll see some of those come in our lifetime. There's someone that's listening to this podcast right now 
that was much like you. They had been either they have dealt with legacy systems their entire career. Maybe they're relatively new to cybersecurity in general, and the cloud looks dark and scary. Going through that transformation, it took, a, am sure, a degree of vulnerability because there were things that you just didn't know, but you took a chance to learn in the hot seat. What is that one piece of advice that you would have for anybody that's looking to pivot into really any new technology and be their best when it comes to the crunch? It's not as hard as it looks. That's what I've always told myself. And it's always, and so far, it's, it's always rang true, right? Uh, it's not as hard as it looks. You lift the hood up. Yep, it looks like there's a lot of stuff in there. But as you start slowly taking things apart, you realize like an uh, engine isn't that complex. The motor's not that not that complex, right? It's just parts, right? So uh, I, I, the recommendation, you know, advice I would say, solid piece is, is go for it. You know, don't doubt yourself. Don't doubt your abilities. It's not as hard as it looks. My brother, I appreciate the time. It was an honor to chop it up with you on the podcast. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, I know you have a new Twitter. What are the best ways that people can do that? Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, Cyber Shogun uh, uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. You know, I, I do I don't respond my LinkedIn messages. Um, you can just look, look my name up on LinkedIn. But those are the two best ways, you know, to, to hit me up, get in contact, ask questions, and to get feedback. Perfect. We'll be sure to drop your Twitter and LinkedIn in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you. I'm also looking forward to see what else you got cooking up in the future, but we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thank you. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.